Health care is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Jason Hellickson from Regenics. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Looking forward to it. All right. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do here on this show is challenge status quo purchasing and educate our audience on non-traditional options to either lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Absolutely. Right up our alley. All right. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and Regenix so the audience has a little bit of context about who they're listening to, and then we'll get started. Sounds good. Jason Hellickson is CEO of Regenix, a global best practices provider specializing in interventional orthopedics. Regenix corporate partners with self-funded employers to significantly reduce their orthopedic spending while providing employees a choice in care. Regenic orthopedics procedures are chosen over 95% of the time over the surgical alternative or other orthopedic procedures, ultimately resulting in better outcomes. Jason, anything else you'd like to mention about yourself? Just a few personal notes that I always like to share. I call myself a recovering insurance broker. So I was the chief operating officer of a large regional broker for 20 some years. And so that has a bit of background to this. I'm a happy husband with a wonderful wife of 28 years and three wonderful kids, 23, 23, and 21. So that gives you a little bit of background on me. And I'm an active triathlete. So I still do and like to compete in various things. All right. I love that you're a recovering broker. (laughs) One day, I'm sure I will be too. But I'd like to start the interview with your personal story. I mean, you were an athlete growing up. You're still active today doing triathlons, but you've had your own unique journey with musculoskeletal injuries, which ultimately led to your position at Regenix. So do you want to share that with our audience? Absolutely. And I'll try to make it as quick as I can, because I know they want to probably get onto what we do and whatnot. But the Regenix corporate program was really born by me seeking an alternative to surgical care. As a backdrop, I had shoulder surgery on my right shoulder back in 2008 with a very good outcome. That said, it took me 12 months to recover. It took me 12 months to swim again. And the pain and recovery time was brutal, quite frankly. Fast forward to 12, I retired late 2013, active triathlete. Left shoulder was causing the same kind of problems as my right shoulder. Went back to the same orthopedic surgeon, same prognosis, right? Torn labrum, torn rotator, told me I needed surgery, said I didn't want to go through that again. And I had qualified for a couple national events. His take was, I'll put you on cortisone shots and opioids and get through the season and then have the shoulder surgery. That didn't really sound really good to me. I elected not to have the surgery. And then I researched alternatives to surgery. Also as a backdrop, I was avoiding a spinal fusion between my L4 and my L5 using physical therapy and chiropractic care by over 20 years, which is a great decision and great choice for people. And that should be the first choice in orthopedic care pathway is physical therapy or non-invasive alternatives. That said, I didn't really realize how much pain I was in until I was out of pain after the Regenix procedure, fast forwarding there. And I was also encountering plantar fasciitis in my left heel for a few years. I ultimately chose Regenex. I walked into the procedure being honestly optimistic, but skeptical. Eight weeks later, I shared my story with a past client of mine, chairman and CEO of Meredith Corporation, a Fortune 500 company. And quite honestly, we just brainstormed and said, why isn't this covered by insurance? 
Ultimately, I work with his legal and HR teams to determine that not only can Regenex be added to a self-funded health plan, but it should. And we piloted it with them to begin with. And that's how it all started. And we were so successful with it that Regenex came to us as an affiliate and said, what are you guys doing? Can you do it with our 75 clinics across the country? Ultimately, we aligned interest. I became CEO of Regenex and we've been doing this national program since November of 2017. Thanks for the story there, but I want to back up just a bit. So how did you feel after the procedure relative to what was done on your other shoulder? You know what? I shouldn't gloss over that because it's the most impactful part of this. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, quite frankly. So my shoulder, my right shoulder, I did have a good outcome. And I would tell you that if we can't serve someone, we refer them on to surgery. That said, it was extremely painful. I couldn't sleep for weeks because you have to sleep in a chair when you have shoulder rotator cuff and labral surgery. And then you're on a machine moving your shoulder. And then fast forward that for months, I was going through all kinds of physical therapy to break up the scar tissue from the invasive procedure, as well as everything else that goes with the recovery. My Regenex procedure was a needle-based procedure using my own orthobiologics, and I'm sure I'll explain in a little bit. But two days after, I was moving that shoulder. I was sleeping fine the first night, right? I was in pain for a couple days, and then my recovery happened, very similar to how you break a bone. My recovery happened for over six weeks. In fact, happened longer than that, but my initial recovery was basically how you break a bone. It was healed, but I had some tissue maintenance and tissue growth to happen after those six weeks. But at the six week and eight week mark, I was swimming again without pain. It was an incredible, less recovery time, so much less pain. To be candid, I was fortunate to be able to retire at an early age. If I were given the choice now on the backside of both procedures, I'd pay 10 times more for the Regenix procedure than the surgical procedure just because of the less downtime. And now my left shoulder is better than my right shoulder. And that's not, again, to put down surgery because we refer people on to surgery when needed. It's just generally overused and misused. Well, this is where I wanted to start, though, because I thought your perspective was unique having had both procedures done on really the same part of your body and being able to contrast the two different patient experiences as well as the recovery times. And and we'll get into the details in a second, but I wanted to start there. Um, So Jason, we, we just had another company on this podcast focused on the physical therapy aspect of musculoskeletal care. And we discussed some of the issues in this category. So let's start at a high level. Can you give us a little background on what falls within this musculoskeletal category, prevalence of these conditions, and describe to us as what you see are the biggest issues from a care and cost standpoint within the musculoskeletal category? Yeah, and that's a broad subject. Let me hit on a few very high points that are very significant to not just businesses, but to us as a public. So roughly 6% of the GDP is spent on elective orthopedic surgeries per year. It's almost 6% of the GDP. It's almost a trillion dollars, right? That's $999 billion being spent on elective orthopedic surgeries. That said, you know, 30, 40 years ago when orthopedic surgeries were invented, it was the only alternative to care for the joint itself for orthopedic conditions. So that care was covered by insurance very readily because it was the only option and people needed something to handle it. So I don't degrade that in any way. That being said, when you look back on it and you look at evidence-based medicine, now over 50% of orthopedic surgeries have been proven to be ineffective in randomized control trial compared to placebo, placebo being physical therapy. So as a reality, companies and we as a public are spending roughly $500 billion on ineffective procedures to date. And that, again, is not to degrade surgery. It's not. It's a matter of looking at the orthopedic care continuum and reinventing it. 
And that's really what we're sitting in the middle of. And as you pointed out, and as I pointed out, I handled my spinal fusion the right way, without question. Going on to a spinal fusion at a young age doesn't make any sense. So I used the best alternative, which was physical therapy and chiropractic care. And I was able to live a healthy, good life for a period of time. I just didn't realize I had another alternative that I ended up finding out. But that being said, that should be the first step in an orthopedic care continuum pathway. And then what's happened in the past is if that doesn't work, most people, in fact, about 50% of people over a five-year span put off surgery because they don't want to go through it. So for five years, they're encountering that same pain that took them to an orthopedic surgeon that gave them an orthopedic surgical prescription, if you will, but they put it off because they don't want to endure the pain and suffering and the risks associated with it. So they sit in what I call a gap in care issue as it relates to orthopedic. And then some go right on to surgery because they want to resolve it. And we sit right in the middle and we view it as a bridge. And that's why we call it interventional orthopedics. But again, as a backdrop, we have to reinvent this whole care continuum. We have to rethink it. We have to think different. And by that, you also then have to take a step back and figure out, okay, who in America decides what's covered and how it's covered? And are they innovative around that? And so have they been hand-strung or handcuffed, if you will, in terms of their decision. And I'm sure we're going to touch on that as it relates to insurance carriers and some of the handcuffs and the regulation that they're held to and how that doesn't necessarily allow for innovation. Yeah, we will get to that. But I think that's a good pathway into the Regenix product and service and, and what problem you guys are attempting to solve here. So let's define interventional orthopedics and regenerative medicine. What does that mean? Absolutely. Great question. Interventional orthopedics is a less invasive needle-based procedure using orthobiologics. So what are orthobiologics? Orthobiologics are your natural healing cells that are found in everybody's body, right? Some of them include orthobiologics that we use at Regenex are mesenchymal stem cells derived from your bone marrow, right? There's a big difference between where the mesenchymal stem cells are derived from. So bone marrow or adipose tissue are two of the main ones, but use that as an orthobiologics. Another orthobiologics is uh, platelets. So you can have platelet only or PRP. Many people have heard of platelet-rich plasma, and there is a difference between platelet-rich plasma and platelet-only procedures. And then there's also other things that are found within those two orthobiologics, uh, cytokine-rich serums, et cetera, that we use to help that body heal on its own. But that's what we call interventional orthopedics. It's a needle-based procedure using orthobiologics to facilitate healing from within very similar to how a bone heals on its own. Got it. And so those extracting those things from the body and Mm -hmm. then placing them by the injured area that promotes or stokes the healing process that for some reason is not working. Exactly. So let me take a big picture view of that. I pointed out earlier on purpose, the bone and how the bone heals on its own, right? So why does the bone heal on its own? You're not stitching it back together and the ACL or the labrum or the cartilage not heal on its own and it needing to be stitched back together. It's fairly simple from a big picture perspective. The bone, inside a bone is bone marrow and inside a bone marrow are nucleated mesenchymal stem cells. They are what we call omnipotent cells, which mean they differentiate into orthopedic tissue or human tissue. So they're immediately on quote unquote, the accident scene when you break a bone. Mm -hmm. And then outside of the bone is a very vascular system, right? So blood. And inside of blood, you've got red blood cells, right? We all know what those are for, carrying oxygen primarily, white blood cells to fight infection, and then blood platelets. Blood platelets are there to help the body heal 
on smaller type of tissue tears. So like when you cut your finger or cut your nose, that what initially happens is the blood platelets are what coagulate the blood. The blood platelets and the stem cells added together are what differentiate that bone into and heal that bone in six weeks. So why does the bone heal on its own, but not the ACL or the cartilage of the ligament? Well, the cartilage, ligament, tendon don't have bone marrow. And then two, the joint itself is avascular. And avascular means there's very little blood flow. So that's why orthopedic surgery was invented to begin with, is that the body isn't naturally positioned to heal on its own at the joint level. Got it. And so really, we are leveraging the body's own natural superpowers to promote the healing process. Absolutely. It's amazing what the body can do when you allow it to do it, right? I mean, there's so many other things that you know, whether that's metabolic syndrome and how you can fight metabolic syndrome with different types of dietary changes or how you can fight cancer using your own cells or somebody else's cells. There's cellular health is part of the future of American healthcare or the worldwide healthcare for that matter. We're seeing it with COVID right now as it relates to plasma, right? And creating and getting antibodies from somebody else's plasma and using those antibodies to fight it within that human body. So yes, without question. Now, it's not as simple as I shared with you, right? It's a lot more complex (laughs) than than that simplistic, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But yes, it's unleashing the natural healing powers of the body. Got it. So let's talk about efficacy for a second. How effective are these procedures in healing the injuries and how does that compare to traditional efficacy rates for surgical procedures? You know, that's a great question. And it's really where Regenix sets itself apart and why Regenix can be added to a self-funded health plan, but stem cell therapy broadly defined cannot. And it really revolves around efficacy and it being proven to be effective. And there's some leaps that you still have to take, even with Regenix as it relates to this. But efficacy is really determined whether it's an effective procedure or not. Um, it works, whether you get healed. Exactly. And so generally speaking, research bases that decision. And there's five levels of research in America. Call it level five up to level one. Level one being the gold standard, if you will, randomized control trials. So as I pointed out earlier, orthopedic surgery was invented for a reason because the body doesn't heal on its own. And it was readily added to health plans because it was the only option. There was no efficacy-based decision then. And now looking back on it, over 50% of those have now been proven to be ineffective. Some examples are rotator cuff surgery, knee meniscectomies, knee replacement, knee ACL are all examples of orthopedic surgeries that have been proven to be ineffective in randomized control trials. So should they be done? Yes, in the right cases. As it relates to Regenex and regenerative medicine, there's a lot of efficacy that's there, right? So Regenex has published over 50% of the world's literature in this field. And we've got four randomized control trials now that conclude the effectiveness of our procedures. One is for knee osteoarthritis, which the surgical alternative is knee replacement. One is for knee ACL. The other is for shoulder rotator cuff, right? And those are examples of, and I can provide those, and I think I have to you, examples of what I would call the high-end efficacy Mm -hmm. of these procedures. There's also many peer-reviewed studies, which is kind of the level four that we've done. In fact, I think there's probably 40 or 50 peer-reviewed studies that have been published for Regenex that conclude the effectiveness. We're seeing this play out in real time with COVID, right? And in real time, they're trying to get FDA approval and get all of these things for, I'm not going to pronounce some of these names of these drugs right, but what we're seeing is the need for that to happen more readily and more thoughtfully. They both have to be combined, but 
it's a key component. And hopefully I explained that as you were requesting. Well, I think you mentioned two things that are important. The fact that there is clinical research being done, uh, peer-reviewed studies that are indeed validating the effectiveness as therapy for these types of injuries. And I think if I'm an employer, that's what I would want to know is that right. you know there is clinical validation to the procedure and the outcome. Right, exactly. So we've talked about efficacy. Now let's talk about your network, right? Yeah. You have a network of Regenix providers across the country. And so I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask other folks on the show is, is what are you guys doing to ensure quality of care? Because why the procedure itself may be effective, right? You have a network of professionals who are delivering the care, right? right? So can you talk about that? What are you guys doing to ensure quality of care? Absolutely. You know, and it's probably the most critical component, right? So I ended up supporting Regenx for a variety of reasons. One, we were research-based and outcomes monitored, right? So how do you get the outcomes on a consistent basis? If you don't have a standard of care model to get the outcomes that you're looking for so that when you're treated in Los Angeles or San Diego, it's the same kind of treatment alternative that you get in New York or Des Moines, Iowa, right? So I think it's really critical in that regard. That is one of the areas where Regenix really has is standout. And I really look at it on three fronts as it relates to standard of care. And it ultimately boils down to the procedure and it boils down to getting the right orthobiologics right onto the injured tissue. And so that happens two ways, right? You have to have a very, very skilled physician that's able to do the proper diagnosis up front, as well as get that needle right onto the injured tissue. And what I mean by that is, so like my shoulder, as an example, they use 13 different needles, right? With 13 different orthobiologics that were provided to them by our lab that were geared right to my particular pathology and right to my particular type of injury on that pathology. And that was then delivered right on site. So getting that skilled physician takes us a vetting perspective. So we've got a vetting model that allows us to know who's a great physician, right? And so to give you an example, in 2018, we rejected 94% of the Regenix applicants that wanted to become a Regenix physician because they didn't have the skill set yet. Fascinating. Okay. Yes, extremely. And then we educate them. And then we also monitor their outcomes and then continually educate them. So that's really on the physician side. So you have to have someone diagnose and be able to get the right orthobiologics right onto the right tissue. Second is you have to have a skilled laboratory technician that produces the right orthobiologics. Mm-hmm. And at Regenix, we've got over 100 different orthobiologics that we produce by pathology and by joint. And so that's a real critical component to have a standard of care. So we've got the same kind of vetting and the same kind of training that we do for the physician that we do for the lab tech. That's all supported by an outcomes database. We're monitoring the outcomes of all of our patients and monitoring the outcomes of the physicians and the laboratory techs inside of our outcomes database that not only do we look at and monitor internally, we provide that transparently to every employer and every prospective employee or prospective patient to see it transparently. Wouldn't it be great if the whole orthopedic community in the world provided an outcomes database for everybody to see in advance of having a procedure? We're doing that at Regenix today. So that's what supports that standard of care. That's incredible. And yes, it would be amazing if for every surgical procedure out there and every hospital and facility that we had that data. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily shared, but (laughs) it'd be great. It would be great, wouldn't it? Yes, indeed. And so the network of providers, it is national in scope, correct? You know, a great point. And I should have pointed that out. Uh, We've got over 75 locations presently across the United States, over 100 physicians that have been trained on these procedures. And we're growing that readily. Over the next six months, we'll probably be adding 20 to 30 more sites and probably 20 to 40 more physicians. Great. 
So, so far we've got a clinically validated, less invasive option that heals injuries using the body's own superpowers. So what's the cost of these procedures relative to the traditional surgery care pathway? Great point. So traditional surgical cost, and it varies again by pathology and joint, but if you add them all together and divide by the number of done, and it does vary by location across the United States, but the average surgical cost is between twenty-five dollars and $30,000, right? The average cost of our procedure is roughly $4,500 to give you a, a broad base. Our procedures range in cost from call it 2,000 to 9,000, depending upon the number of joints that we treat. But on a per joint basis, it's 2,000 to 9,000. So hopefully that gives you a perspective. It's really a significant savings, right? We say in general, we're saving employers up to 70% of what their elective surgical spend would have been. All right. That's pretty powerful. And these are all pre-negotiated posted case rates, right? So there's no... 100% transparent. We've got a master fee schedule that is across the United States. It's one of the key components that as a former broker, the one of the things that I just absolutely just didn't understand is how the whole pricing of a medical procedure happens and how it gets to be an in-network rate, right? So what the reality of what's happened across the United States is providers increase their rate that they show to the TPAs and the insurance carriers just in order to show a lower in-network rate to show that there's some value being provided, but it's really smoke and mirrors in a lot of cases. What we do at Regenex is we're a direct contractor with the employer. It's a master fee schedule. We've got centralized billing and centralized scheduling that's done in our home offices, Des Moines, Iowa. And it's all supported with a master fee schedule that's 100% transparent. Great. And Regenix's corporate fees for the organization, those are all built into your fee schedule. Absolutely. Yep. Right built right into the fee schedule. So like when someone's looking at adding Regenix to their self-funded health plan, a lot of people ask, is there a per employee per month charge? Is there a percentage of savings? No, there's no cost at all to add Regenix. It's zero cost. It's we're another provider to the list of providers that you have. And we just happen to be 70% less than the traditional care pathway that's currently on your plan. Yeah, I think that's refreshing. I think we need more price transparency. Just to give you a small example of sort of the price variation that can exist in any network. I mean, not too long ago, my wife uh, needed to get an MRI and her physician sent her to this one place. But before she went, I said, no, hold on. Let me just call and see what's going to cost. And they were going to charge $2,000 for that MRI. And I found a place, not kidding you, across the street that was $500. Yeah. It's really unfortunate for the medical industry to have that variance. And the cost difference between providing it from one spot to another is not that dramatic, not even close to being that dramatic. So that is where we do have to get better as society. That's where we've got to get better as consumers of healthcare as well. And it does revolve around having an element of transparency involved in it. Right. And so we do have to get off of the traditional way of, in essence, getting our medical care and being a good consumer as it relates to that. And that's going to take some time. High deductible health plans and that kind of things are great steps in that. But we also have to be able to supply that consumer with the right data. So let's talk about the consumer for a second. So a self fund employer adds this to their plan. It's really an amendment to their SPD, making this available to employers. You're not part of the network. So it's direct bill to the employer. So how are you engaging potential users in driving engagement and awareness? You know what, Michael, that's such a great question. So it's one thing for the employer and their decision makers to decide to add interventional orthopedics and the Regenex program to their care pathway. It's a whole nother step to have the members be able to utilize the service well. One, they have to know it is available. Two, they have to know what it does. 
And three, they have to, orthopedic care is very episodical. So when they come up into an episode, they have to remember that we're an alternative. So it's been a true learning to be candid. You know, we started this in the first pilot with Meredith was 1-1 of 2015. Mm -hmm. We merged the companies together in November of 2017. And we honestly just thought that announcing it to the employees would do it and do it during open enrollment. Not happening. Did not happen. We are fortunate that we really retooled our utilization model back in late 2018 for an effective date of 2019. And all of our employers are now on a two to four prong utilization model, all built around educating and steering employees to RegenX just to allow them to know it's an option in care. So we've got a benefits card. We've got a bi-monthly newsletter that goes out. We also have a targeted outreach campaign where we get a file feed from the TPA of precursors to orthopedic surgery, like cortisonal shots, opioid prescriptions, physical therapy. And we reach out to them and let them know Regenix is an option in care. And then many employers have added step therapy to their SPD. Uh, in terms glad, of their plan design. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. when I think about sort of an appropriate care pathway in musculoskeletal category, I do think about step therapy for drugs. So talk about what that might look like for an employer who was sort of going to implement that care pathway. Where does it start and where does it end? Yeah, it's a great question. Let me give you a little history on it to let you know how we got into it. I knew I wanted to go this route for quite some time. I wanted some more validity to it to be able to convince an employer that was innovative to begin with that This is something to consider. So one of our clients implemented this based on analysis that we provided to them on knee joint replacement. So we've got a very high efficacy rate to be able to help people avoid knee replacement. And they were spending a lot of money on it. And many of those employees didn't know that Regenix was an option in care. So I brought the idea to them in 2018, and they really liked the idea. And there were some concerns that I had. But ultimately, what we did, and then I'll back into how we did it, is we convinced the TPA to require, in order to schedule a knee replacement, right, to actually schedule it, they had to have a Regenex evaluation first. Mm -hmm. And so their TPA, which was a Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa, was able to administer that step therapy. So they had to take that step in order to get the therapy that they were looking for. That step brought, I think, 50 potential patients that wanted to schedule a knee replacement and Mm -hmm. had that alternative. 50 to us in advance, 49 of those folks chose Regenix in lieu of knee replacement, and they have all been on a net promoter score of 74. So if you're familiar with that, anything above zero is positive, right? So 74 is very, very good. But that's an example of it. And there's numerous other types of examples of step therapy I'm sure you're very familiar with, but it's a matter of, to an extent, forcing the member to make a step or take a step before they're allowed to have a certain therapy. I was concerned that people were going to feel like it was big brother looking over them. When you get a net promoter score of 74, I mean, it's pretty dramatic that they really enjoy that experience. Yeah. Thank you for the example. It's good for our listeners to hear about how to integrate something like this effectively, because I think just adding it isn't enough. There needs to be strong communication and engagement strategy. And probably the strongest one that you could possibly do would be to catch it at prior authorization and mandate before you do the invasive surgery, mandate one or two less invasive options, whether it be Regenix or physical therapy. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of have a care continuum on it as it relates to that. And that's education first, 
then incentives or plan design. And then the third is step therapy because you can incent people to experience it as well on that front. And that's generally very well received when they see that kind of incentive. So it's kind of a three-pronged approach, the education approach, the incentive approach, and then the step therapy approach. Yeah. In relation to the NPS score, you did send me a few documents with quotes from happy mm-hmm. customers. And I'll tell you, it's pretty powerful to read. I mean, just the quotes, you could just tell these people were so grateful. And many of them, the common thing in all of those quotes were people talking about the improvement in their overall quality of life. And that really resonated with me. You know, Michael, I mean, I'm so thankful we did that. And I was so concerned about the big brother part for this step therapy that we started that program. And now we've rolled it out to every commercial customer that we have. And I get these back on a quarterly basis. And if there's anything that drives me, and I'm kind of a North Star guy, purpose guy, there's anything that drives me. I grew up in a trailer home, to be candid. My parents would never have been able to afford these type of procedures if it wasn't covered by their health plan. And then they would have been in pain. Providing these folks that might not be able to afford it, this alternative in care and get that kind of feedback is so dramatic to me. It's a driver. It's, I don't hear no anywhere. I mean, it's just, I'm not educating people enough to make a good informed decision. And it's because of that backdrop. It's amazing when I read those testimonials, the types of feedback that you get. And it does, it's inspiring for us doing what we're doing because what we're doing today, and you know this well, it's not easy. It's not easy to do what we're trying to do in America, and that's to do direct contracting with a medical procedure that's considered investigational by insurance company standards and convincing large employers to add it to their self-funded health plan for the good of their employees. So that helps drive the passion around the purpose of what we do. I love it. Hey, you guys recently had some success at the Employer Healthcare Innovation Roundtable. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that specific group and what happened for you guys? Yeah, I would love to. I had not heard of this group, and that's nothing degrading or anything. There's an amazing group of employers. Employer Health Innovation Roundtable has four cohorts or four working groups, if you will. Each of those working groups come together multiple times a year to look at innovation ideas as it relates to healthcare, to share best practices, do those types of things. These are all very, very large employers, very significant, and the targets of the world, the Home Depots of the world, if you will. And for each one of these sessions that they come in, and they've been doing this for four years, I think. So probably twice a year for four years in four groups, that's what, 100 types of times where innovators like us can come and share our value proposition to them. We were awarded the Traction Award for Cohort 3 in September of last year, where 12 of these large employers agreed to move forward with Regenex based on the value proposition that we provided to them, right? It's just been an amazing experience. So why I share that is what we are doing is very well received by the innovators, the leaders in healthcare, those that it's their money that's they're spending on a daily basis. They're self-funding. In many cases, they don't even have a spec, right? These are Fortune 500 companies. These are the biggest companies in the country. Yes. And so it just validates again that what we're doing is the right thing, right? What we're doing is the right thing for those types of employers. And what we're doing is the right thing for their employees. So it was a great experience. It was wonderful. I would encourage everybody that's in this innovation, healthcare innovation field to look at Employer Health Innovation Roundtable. It's a great organization. If you're a very large employer, it's something that I think you can really get a lot out of because they're bringing many innovative ideas to you on a multiple times a year. 
Look, we talked about the clinical validation and the peer-reviewed studies earlier, but I think this is another type of validation. This is social proof per se, where you've got other large employers doing the due diligence and deciding that, hey, this is something that's beneficial to our employees. We should be offering it. Absolutely. You know, it's one of the things that we're now on the better side of when you're trying to make transformation happen, when you get what I call the crowding effect to start to support your transformation idea. It's one of the things that we benefit from today is we're starting to get that crowding effect. We've got some very, very large employers that have added Regenx. Many TPAs have actually added it to their own self-funded health plan and they're bringing it to their own clients. Brokers like yourself are being very innovative and being very proactive and setting up their own kind of plan design and incorporating Regenx into it within the orthopedic care pathway. So yeah, we're on the very positive side of reception. So let's talk about, I mean, obviously this is for self-funded employers, but is there any size limitation? I mean, can a middle market employer who has 200 employees and they're self-funded, I mean, can they bring Regenix to their employees? Yeah. Anybody that has their own SPD can add Regenix to their self-funded health plan. So we've got size employers. I think the smallest is 80 employees all the way up into the you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. So we're here to serve anybody that can make that decision in a thoughtful way. One should also know with 75 clinics across the country and roughly 3% of your workforce that uses this, We also have a telehealth model and a transportation type of model built into it so that people can seek us out as a center of excellence to receive service. Got it. I think that makes sense. So if if somebody is not located near one of the locations, it can be arranged with the employer to add the cost for travel into the overall price such that the employee has access to that care. Yep. And it's still very much a win-win. Yeah. Gosh, Jason, we've talked about a lot What are you most excited right now in your business? Anything that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, you know what? I'll share this. I had a great conversation with you, I think a week ago or so, with an extremely innovative idea that I think you're going to be bringing to the market very soon. And, you know, that conversation was, for me, very supportive of what we're doing, as well as what I think the industry is going to do, right? So I think innovators like yourself, I applaud you for what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then I also applaud your thinking of commercializing it, because you're going to be making it easier for an employer to be able to receive these types of services within their plan that are very well received by their members and cost-effective for the employer. So that is happening throughout the country. I'm excited to partner with you in California and partner with others like you throughout the United States. So our broker model, to summarize that, is really a model that I'm looking forward to supporting brokers like yourself around the country that are really being innovators in the space. I think it's an absolute necessity that thought leaders like you, you are the trusted partner of large employers to help them make good decisions to have folks like you really look at these kind of alternatives is really exciting for me on what the future looks like. Well, I mean, I didn't come up with this, but it takes a village, right? So there's lots of uh, great people in the industry doing lots of great things. And I know this is a tough, challenging time in our country with COVID-19 and all of the havoc it's wreaking on the economy and, and people's lives. But I will tell you, I couldn't be more optimistic about the future of healthcare with all the entrepreneurs and innovators that are doing good work out there. So there's lots of good stuff ahead for sure. Yeah. Amen. Jason, if there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? You know what? I'm struggling to come up with a question. (laughs) If we got them all, we got them all. (laughs) Yeah. I usually don't struggle with a question like that. So no, there's not much else I can say. The only other thing I can say is just be inquisitive. People make informed decisions 
make a decision on your own. Don't count on an insurance carrier or anybody to tell you what to do in America. And not that that's a bad thing, but be innovative, be thoughtful, look at change as a necessity, not as an adversary, you know, as an adverse situation, look at it as a necessity. It really has to happen. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there for sure. So Jason, how can people listening to this podcast, we have a national audience of employers and other brokers and consultants. How can they learn more about Regetics? Yeah, great question. So there's really two main portals. One for the corporation is regenixcorporate.com. And I'm going to spell that real quick. It's R-E-G-E-N-E-X-X. So two X's, corporate.com. And then primarily patient-facing is regenix.com, R-E-G-E-N-E-X-X.com. My contact information is jhelixson, J-H-E-L-L-I-C-K-S-O-N, at regenx.com. So feel free to reach out to me via email. I've got a whole team of people that if I can't get back to you, one of our team will. And also look us up on YouTube. We've got a lot of great educational videos on YouTube that you can find that will help you make informed decisions or reach out to us directly to learn more about what we do. All right. Well, uh, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you, Jason, for taking time out of your busy schedule. I think this has been a great discussion and, and hopefully very informative to our listeners. Likewise. Thank you for doing what you're doing and thank you for the opportunity to share our value. You bet. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Regenix's website and contact information. Lastly, we're always looking for innovative companies to interview on the podcast. If you know of someone doing good work in the marketplace to create improved value in healthcare and or health insurance, please do drop us a note with your recommendation. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.